Hello, my name is Dylan, and this is the Heroes of Reality podcast, a place where I interview heroes of reality, of life, science, technology, and more, and I share the stories, lessons, journeys, inspiring you to be the hero of your reality. And on today's episode, we got to interview Daniel Baird, a good friend of mine and primitive skills instructor who got started back in 2004 with the Anasazi Foundation teaching and leading groups and expeditions of teens and adults through the high desert mountains of Arizona. Since then, he's been on tons of different survival TV shows, including Nat Geo's Migrations, where he's tracked 300 miles across the Serengeti with a team of survival experts. He's a CERT instructor. He's done a ton of different trainings on TV shows and in person, and just an overall beast of a man. So without any further ado, let me welcome my good friend, Daniel Baird. Hey, Dan. How goes it, my friend? It is going, Dylan. Yeah? I'm glad to be here. I'm glad that you're here, too. Um, so the last time we were hanging out, <laughs> let's, let's, let's back this up a little bit, shall we? So I got a call from you. You did. I had a call from you. I was sitting at my house, and then I got, a, I got a, first a photo. The photo was you, and how about you describe that for us? I, I don't remember the photo. Uh, I think you called it um, Casual Friday, okay. and it was you in some sort of tribal wear. Fair enough. I, I don't... Okay. Yeah. I, I recall a story. Okay, so that was... Uh, I've spent most of the fall filming a movie that's been filmed in 25 countries, and so that was spending time with a tribe in Indonesia where we made our own loincloths by beating tree bark with a big wooden sledge thing. And uh, yeah, so I was basically just wearing a, a tree bark thong. So good times. It was beautiful and wonderful. And I, and I believe that the commentary was something along the lines of, hey, Dylan, um, I'm going to be going to the end of the world, Patagonia, in like four days and filming the survival show. Do you want to come? It was something to that effect. That's how things roll. So sometimes opportunities come up, and uh, we we take them as they as they come. So it's uh it's pretty cool to be able to to sometimes have things like that come up, and to be able to invite your friends to maybe come along. So can you break down just a little bit how that happened and and why I got that message? So I run. Uh, outdoor survival schools as you know mm-hmm. and uh, just I guess the audience knows now uh, and so what I do for a living basically is I play with rocks and sticks I take people on adventures internationally to uh, learn how to do things like survive we, we teach survival skills we teach traditional living so we go to primitive tribes and learn uh, the skills that they use to survive in their environments um, and uh, you know our trips tend to be a mix of those things teaching people how to survive anywhere in the world teaching people how to understand indigenous culture and the ways that uh, they uh, make a living out in the middle of nowhere so traditional life skills or life ways um, and uh, you know for me I think that the opportunity to leave our modern culture or leave our basically whatever we're doing on a normal daily basis and step into a completely different environment, whether it's just some wild place or with a tribe, it opens up, uh, it opens us up to experiences that just aren't normal uh, for us, <laughs> I guess you could say. And it also opens us up to a few things that are really important to me. I think that human beings are hardwired for nature. Um, and I think that we, in many ways, are now living in environments that are artificial uh, to how human beings are are meant to, or at least how we've traditionally lived and have are kind of biologically or mentally or emotionally set up to live. And so uh, I like taking people out of our normal context of what's normal now and sticking them back into a context which I feel is more of a normal way to live as a human being uh, historically. Um, and so maybe it's a long rambling way of saying that I really like taking people out of uh, just doing stuff in the city and taking them out somewhere and learning what it's like to actually be a human and to learn what you're that you're actually superhuman and capable of some really cool stuff if you're able to just kind of ditch the city for a bit and uh, and push your your body in a responsible way uh, to, to see what it's like to go without food for a bit to see what it's like to be in really remote places to see what it's like to live with tribes to see what it's like to just go to the end of the world and uh, uh, and you know, learn what it's like in a place where you're just away from everything. <laughs> There's actually a lot to unpack mm-hmm. with that, and so and let's take it one piece at a time. So, okay, 
we get a call saying, hey, it's your old buddy, Dan. I'm just here to let you know there's an opportunity for you and your friends to come with me to film a survival show with a bunch of Germans to go to the edge of the world to see if you can survive in one of the most dynamically ranging environments in the world. And of course, (laughs) knowing us, we said, yeah, yeah, that sounds great. We'll be packed, ready to go with bells on. Let's make this happen. Now, there's a, there's a couple of things. Uh, before talking about the adventure and before going into what we did and how we did it and where we got to, there's a couple of things you said I kind of want to touch on. One of the things being you said that uh, pulling us out of the artificial environments that we're currently in. What do you mean by artificial environments and, 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 and how did we get into this place of artificialness? Human beings, um, if you think about how we live, at least in traditional modern Western culture, how we live right now has only been a thing for a generation or two, or maybe you could stretch it to three. Uh, But post-World War II, kind of industrial modernization, um, we really stepped back from being connected to nature and being around the outdoors into just like, hey, I'm in the suburbs and I'm doing my thing every day and I'm working the 40. And, uh, you know, I just I have this life that's, you know, mainly uh, involved with just commercialism and just being in a city and having everything available. And that's kind of like what the American dream was. Um, Americon has this connection too with being outdoors. We have this, this uh, thing with camping and stuff, but that's actually kind of diminished over time as well. Um, and I think that now in modern Western culture, one of the things that we kind of have is uh, they've, they've labeled it nature deficit disorder. Um, and uh, there's this sense that somehow um, we are somehow lacking a part of our, our part of our development or a part of our uh, holistic way of living, or you could say just missing a piece of yourself uh, by not being outdoors on a regular basis. And if you are outdoors, a lot of times we just don't know how to deal with that. So we don't know how to deal with emergencies. We don't know how to deal with uh, just being stuck out for the night in our clothes. It's like if, I, if I'm not stuck outside because I, I decide to go hot tubbing in Tahoe and my car breaks down and gets stuck somewhere in the snow, I'm like, might as well just give up. Like I'm dead. So, um, you know, we, we're living in a really interesting time where we're in many ways, even though we sometimes may take forays to, out to touch nature, we're not really, you know, as part of our daily life or daily driver involved with nature in a way that says this is, this is home. We feel like we're kind of stepping into alien territory and we may have some fun, but it's not part of who we are. And it's not really something that we're like just super, super comfortable with unless it's really controlled. Um, and so that's, that's just the state of how things are right now. And, uh, I like to help people to kind of have a chance to kind of step out into nature in a less, uh, inhibited or manicured, uh, fashion and give them skills to feel comfortable and operate um, outside of that sort of structure. Okay, so it's beautiful. I totally agree with you. I think that we weren't necessarily meant to live in these boxes. I think that a lot of times we were solving certain problems and we created new ones, right? So we were on farms. We were trying to find a way to make a living, find a way to provide for a family easier, more efficiently. So we moved to these cities, but we lost a piece of ourselves, something along the way. As, as we're losing pieces of ourselves to make our lives easier and better, um, you know, there are sacrifices that we've made along this journey, and we're slowly coming back to rediscover ourselves. However, I do want to talk about something when you said in a more responsible fashion. Now, I agree Putting ourselves in uncomfortable places is important, and I do want to talk about how we are a bit more softer, squishier, more comfortable in these places, and how the the hardness is really what kind of defines us. But I do want to say this. When we were out with our friends, our German counterparts, and I was talking with them, and because this wasn't the first time you've been on a survival show with these folks, I was talking to them, and I was saying, so what was it like to be with Dan the first time out? Because this is the second time. And what was it like the first time out to go and uh, film this with them? And I do not forget this. And pardon my poor German accent. He's like, oh, it was so bad I could have sued Dan. And I was like, well, what do you mean? 
And he said it, it it got so dangerous being on this island episode that they became so severely hydra- dehydrated that they they all vomited when they had their first sip of water. Can you please unpack that for me? Because that made me very, very uncomfortable for the adventure we were about to go on. So one of the things we do as a survival school, so I own outdoor survival schools, as you know, and I teach primitive skills, and we're the largest survival school in the United States. And one of the things we specialize in is creating experiences that are high perceived risk, low actual risk. Um, and so that's that's what we do uh, for people. We give them a chance to step out and experience something that seems really, really risky or really, really dangerous. Uh, but you know, underneath it, we've we've got the backup stuff in place to make sure that nothing legitimately serious happens but the thing is um and that's part of the magic of it and that's why you know why would you show up to a round two if you uh if you know round one round one was gonna kill you you know it's like there is this thing um and that's part of the beauty of these experiences where you have a chance to step out is it seems you know we take people to africa we take people to asia we take people to south america we take people all over the world arizona i mean even here in california you've been on a primitive with us here uh, when you have a chance to uh step into a place where it's not just rei you don't have all your backpacks you don't have all your prepared meals you don't have everything with you you pretty much just have the clothes in your back a lot of times and you're able to to step into an experience where um you get to see what it's like to be a little bit uncomfortable what it's like to sleep just next to a fire or even sometimes not next to a fire and just your clothes where you don't have your food where you don't have necessarily have water right away you get to start uh being uncomfortable it is uncomfortable it's it's a it's what i call uh uh, we call it type two fun. Um, in many ways, uh, you know, you know that experience when you go on vacation, you go somewhere and everything's super touristy, and you do that touristy thing, and you're taking pictures, and it looks cool for Instagram, but inside you're kind of like, uh, this is so touristy, and it's like mm-hmm. it's empty. You know, we the type of experiences we provide are like the exact opposite of that. It's like really, really hard. It's not fun sometimes while you're doing it, but when you get back, you're like, holy shit, that changed my life. Um, and so type two type fun, type type two fun where it's not really fun in the moment, where it's really hard, where you're pushed, where you feel like you're up against your boundaries, or even feeling like you're exceeding your boundaries, uh, that's the chance where you really have growth. That's a chance where you have life contrast. Um, and I'll get back to that in a minute. But the these sorts of things kind of create an environment where you have real growth, where you have like something that's deeply impactful and where you change as a human being. So I go after experiences that change people uh, and they're going to be uncomfortable and they're they're going to feel sometimes unfun and you may throw up. Uh, you know, <laughs> it's not a guarantee, but just stuff like that is going to happen sometimes. Um, but, you know, just understand that even while we're giving people that opportunity, there is a safety net already to take care of people. You know, I agree with you to an extent. I think that in order to find yourself, you have to lose yourself. In order to really, in order really to, to understand those edges, you really got to go to the edges, and 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 those things are the most memorable. You don't really remember the time you go home and you binge watch Netflix for all those hours and hours on end. What you do remember is the time that you almost dehydrated yourself and threw up all over the place, and it's a, it's a very memorable experience. And it, and it seems to me that all the memories that I <clears throat> almost died at were the situations that were the most memorable that I look back and I laugh and go, wow, that was, that was super and fun. Uh, where it, it, you're on an adventure and you're at the point where you, 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 you're giggling and then you, and it goes from quickly giggling to dangerous. And there was a moment in time, um, when, cause it wasn't an easy journey to get from comfortable Newport beach, California, uh, to, Ushaya, Puerto Williams, and the gate. And right before we got to the gate, there was there was a there was a moment there um, where you had another survival instructor that actually was giving us a lesson where things went from haha to dangerous, right? And I mean, do you want to break down kind of how these turns and twists along the path uh, uh, really kind of make for the memorable journey? Yeah, so I mean, I guess just to kind of to roll it into a hole, uh, to you know, what, what we were doing is we we were going down to the southernmost trail in uh, the world outside of Antarctica. It's a it's a um, it's an island called Isla um, Navarino. Um, it's it's way south. It's the most southern point um, in Chile. 
before you basically hop a plane. Actually, the place where you hop a plane to go to Antarctica is above this. <laughs> so it's like it's it's basically as far as you can go um, and and take hikes um, in the world. Um, and so we go on the super remote trail, and uh, we're gonna have this this hiking experience in the most remote place um, in the in the world, basically as far as the most southern remote place. Um, epic place for an adventure. And for me, one of the things that defines adventure uh, comes from uh, one of my mentors, a guy named Dave Westcott, who uh, started a school called Boulder Outdoor Survival School. It's the oldest survival school in the United States. But Dave said, it's not an adventure until things start to go wrong. <laughs> and that's there's something to that um, because with planning, with, with you, you have to plan, you have to have contingencies in place, but adventure starts in the moment when you really have to start making choices based on unknowns. You, you know, training helps with that. Uh, you know, having contingency plans and stuff helps with that to make sure you come home. Uh, but adventure happens when things are unknown. And if you talk to anybody, when they have a meaningful trip, it's not the one that was dialed in to the ninth degree where everything was planned out, every route, everything was, was completely like just just dialed into the nines. Um, things become more memorable for most people based on interaction with the people and being in places where things uh, happen almost serendipitously. Um, and for, for nature experiences, when we are um, going out somewhere, we make plans, we have expectations, we set contingencies for safety, uh, but the magic happens in the moments when things happen that aren't expected. Okay, and so, uh, and again, that's for us. The creating these experiences are high perceived risk and low actual, and sometimes things still happen, right? So, like you're saying, we get out on this trip. We're about to start a epic journey on the most southern trail outside of Antarctica, super remote. And the first thing that happens is the uh, co-instructor who's giving a lesson on safety uh, in hiking to make sure you don't hurt yourself hurts themselves <laughs> giving that demonstration so what do you do you know that's just life that's a that's that's a curveball and those things happen and so what did we do uh we we you know we checked her out this the instructor jesse jesse's just super awesome she she basically checked herself out um and then uh decides that hey if she doesn't have a pack and she's uh, bandaged up like she is uh that she's gonna continue to try hiking on it as long as she can if, if it feels okay and having been a former uh, u.s air force seer instructor she's about as tough as you get i've walked across the serengeti with that girl and she was the toughest person on that trip a month that, that was a trip of 230 miles a month on basically day and a half's worth of food, um, living primitively. So like that, that chick was tough. I, I know Jesse just from field experience. Um, but she, uh, I've seen how she operates. And so she, if she says she can go, she's going to go. So Jesse starts and you know, the way that we make that happen as a team is we start, we start huffing her pack. And so everybody else is chipping in and we're working through that system. And what does that do? It creates this experience that wasn't cookie cutter Disneyland. We've stepped out of Disneyland and now we're doing the real thing. So, uh, you know, that wasn't something we wanted. We don't want Jesse to get hurt, but because she did, it created a dynamic where we each learned something about ourselves and we were able to make it through as a team. And we did that whole dang trip successfully, even with one instructor who had a bum leg and was hobbling the whole time, um, you know, because that's what she wanted to do. And we made it happen. Um, for me, that that's an awesome experience uh, where, where, you know, that's just real life. And I love, I love when real life happens and we're able to work with it and still have a really cool, uh, cool experience. There is so much in there and um, so many things I want to talk about. One, so to talk about we're at the gates to, to the to the actual hike, right? We have the camera crew, we have the producer, we have the film guy, we have the host, you, me, Matt, Tanya, we're all there getting ready. And so as she's describing, okay, here's a 15 foot dirt mound, and this is how you climb it successfully. And she's billy goating up the thing, zigzagging from left to right, digging her feet. This is how you climb one foot in front of the other. And as she makes her way to the top of the 15 foot mound, she snap, 
her knee her knee gives she drops right we'll go oh we all pause like like a like a deer that's about to escape we all quietly go okay nobody move she goes i don't feel any pain i think i'm okay she stands back up nope she rolls all the way down the mound right and they were like crap and what was incredible was the entire time she's given us lessons, she's given us instructions, she's given acronyms for how to survive, right? You know, this is the, the five steps for surviving. These are the four, you know, preparative items. These are all these different types of things that were like, okay, she's a beast. But at that point, she goes down and we're like, okay, well, I'm sorry, Jess, you, we'll go ahead and get you a medic, you go back. And she's like, nope, I'm just gonna go ahead and wrap up my knee and give me a large stick. I'm going to make this journey. And I was like, okay, I can never complain on this trip. <laughs> it is impossible for me to complain at all because this this female who is so tougher than I am is, is up and running. But you said something that I kind of want to go back and talk to a little bit before we even talk about our whole journey. Because I feel that you glazed over a adventure a journey a hero's journey if you would that you just kind of said oh yeah by the way i was with uh jess and we did a day and a half's worth of food on a 30-day hike and and i don't think that really does it justice because i've seen the before and after pictures i've i know about that journey a bit more and i and i'd like you before we talk about what we did in ushuaia and our whole journey around and back again on frodo's adventure can you please talk a little bit about what you and Jesse went through, how you went through it, where you went through it, and a couple of those um, threshold guardians that you battled uh, to become friends with her. So when uh, when I was asked by Nat Geo to do an expedition trip in 2015 across the Serengeti on foot, we were we were asked to follow the migration pattern of the wildebeest. For those who don't know, and the Serengeti, which is, means plains, like endless plains in Africa, um, it stretches through parts of Kenya as well as Tanzania. And uh, the Serengeti National Parks in Tanzania, we were invited by uh, Nat Geo to basically do a multi-million dollar safari. You don't say no to something like that. Um, we basically had a chance to walk across the Serengeti, 230 miles across the Serengeti. Uh, the caveat being that um, we were asked as a group of human beings to do that crossing uh, primitively, and that ended up involving doing uh, 230 miles over the course of 30 days on about a day and a half's worth of food. Um, some food that were gifted to us by hunter-gatherer tribes before we left to start the crossing. So it got really gnarly, and it was a big group of people, and there were a few of us that were experienced guides who were asked to come in and guide that experience. Jesse was one of them. I was one of them. Um, Reza, who you know, is one of them, and a few others. And so we take this group of people and uh, from all walks of life, and we're, we're expected to do this crossing. Um, and that's a super intense experience. Uh, if if you, it, was, it basically became a death march for better, for better or for worse. Uh, it's probably the hardest thing that's ever been filmed uh, as far as a survival experience because we weren't stationary. We were moving. Um, we were we were uh, burning probably five to seven thousand calories a day, and we only had ten thousand calories for the entire month. Uh, so super, super rough. Um, and uh, that was when me and Jesse became pretty tight because that girl, a former U.S. Air Force SEER instructor, had her head on her shoulders and knew what she was doing and was dialed in from the start and was just like she was huffing more weight than anybody else um, and just was, was really in it gung-ho to go. Um, and so when you see someone like that, when you see what they're made of and when you see that they can stay calm in that sort of situation, uh, you know, it, they step out as a leader and bonds form. And, uh, you know, there was a pretty tight network of about three or four of us that were kind of running, uh, running things and making sure it happened. And that's when I became really, really close with Jesse. And that's when uh, we started to, uh, you know, we started to become close friends and, and we've been able to do things since and now she runs seer training school which is a really really awesome outfit in colorado that um that teaches people you know survival skills like like the ones that we do um and uh yeah so jesse if i have a chance to pull that girl into the project i do and when this uh, show came up to hey let's just go to patagonia and run a primitive in the most remote place basically in the world um you know 
uh, who are you going to bring along? I'm bringing Jesse. <laughs> and, uh, and you know, if we, if we have uh, students, you know, I'm, I'm calling Dylan and, and crew to, to come down <laughs> and, as well because, that, you know, that was, that was an epic experience. I'm really glad you guys got to go. Uh, it was incredible. Yeah. And, and she's a beast. And, and you, you were incredible. The whole journey itself was, was amazing. I just, you know, the the situation where you you find yourself to be uncomfortable and you find yourself to 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 go through these experiences. We okay, what we did was, uh, I would say, intense for most people, but nothing like doing a thirty day death march, moving through the Serengeti uh, for hundreds of miles with a day and a half's worth of food. And um, you mentioned me before, and I thought it was so funny when because. As we're prepping up for these things, uh, one of the things that we went through is that uh, we started fasting. And we were fasting for uh, health reasons and other reasons. And one of the things that I realized is of how fortunate we are and how lucky we are in the fact that I did a voluntary 48 hours of not eating food. And I realized, being of my age, a uh, 30-plus-year-old male, that going 48 hours without food was like the first time I didn't how squishy and soft and how easy my life is compared to most and realizing that fact that like most people don't even push themselves to to the to their limit you know I mean going 12 hours without food going six hours without food is such a terrible situation but really your body your mind your spirit is capable of so much more and and how you know what we did was just a, a even on this whole journey was was a small fraction of what we can actually do and how you and Jesse really pushed the boundaries and how you really don't form tight bonds unless you go through really shitty experiences together and how you know even though it's incredibly uncomfortable there is some sort of camaraderie that's formed through having to struggle together and you had a journal that you were supposed to be kind of like a daily blog that kind of turned into something else, right? Like, what do you like? Like, how, what was it like to go thirty days with a day and a half worth of food? And what was it like? I mean, Jesse aside, for your own personal journey, and and what did that what did that journal turn into for you? So, with uh, human beings, we're we are we're a pretty crazy species, and the way we live right now in modern culture is kind of a aberration and anomaly compared to what the normal human experience is. And I think that it's important for us to put that in context. Human beings are used to going borderline starvation. That was, that was the normal historical pattern. Uh, you eat it when you get it. And if you have a good part of the year where you have a lot of food, great, pack it on, put on some fat, but human beings are meant, uh, throughout human history to kind of have lean times and lean parts of the year where you're basically kind of supplementing your diet with your fat. And that was just a normal way of doing things. And it's only been within the past, you know, 100 years, 200 years, uh, to some extent where we've had, uh, we've built towards having a, uh, a calorie surplus. And the past couple of generations are really weird because now we're more, we're worried about getting too fat versus uh, you know not having enough to eat. That's extremely weird anomaly in human history. So when we're talking about survival experiences, what we're doing to people, um, you know, talking about going without food for periods of time, <laughs> we're taking people back to what's normal. We're taking people back to uh, what your what our species has been doing forever. Uh, going a couple months really low calorie, super normal for most of human history. Living borderline starvation, living almost uh, you know like uh, you know almost low calorie, no calorie for good stretches. Our species is amazing. Our bodies are super capable. Most of us never test that beyond missing lunch occasionally. And so uh, when you're talking about what that was like to step back and have an experience where we are going extended periods without food, um, for me, uh, yeah, super mind-blowing. I've, I've done shorter time periods, a week, two weeks, uh, but stepping back and doing like more, a month and going basically almost no food, uh, that was really pushing my comfort zones. That was pushing everybody's comfort zones. But what I found... 
uh, through this experience, mm-hmm. and we were being medically managed. I gotta say that right now because anybody who wants to step out and do some some weird thing, you have to be very careful with how you're doing that sort of stuff. But when you have that sort of experience where you're stepping out and you're being borderline starvation, um, it almost feels like you're finally learning what it is to be human <laughs> in, a, in a way. You're learning what your machine does. It's like it's like most of us live in this box where like most, most of our system isn't being used. Mm-hmm. If you have a chance to step out of that and, and uh, experience things to a great extent, it's like you're beginning to use your whole being, like your full capacity. And so some ways I experienced where I spent a month crossing Serengeti on 10,000 calories uh, really, really taught me what my system was able to do. And I actually felt superhuman. At the same time, it's really sucky. <laughs> you feel superhuman. And it's a really cool experience. Well, I'm super curious about oh. this. And, and, and for several reasons. I mean, a couple of things being the fact that, like, yeah, I mean, most of us don't even test this. Like, I mean, around here, I mean, we we've have, you know, we have diseases of ab- abundance, not of famine, not yeah, of strife. That's a good way to put it. Right? And But it really is in the, in the sense that we don't know. You know, we, we've never experienced what it's like to, to, to be a week, a month, uh, um, multiple months without food. Um, and so when you say you really got to experience what it's like to be human, Right, like I mean, I mean, what is like what is like I mean, what is the emotional arc that goes over you? What is the what are the feelings like that go over you? What are the what are the things that you're thinking about? How do you how do you feel more human? How do you define more human? So when you start to, you just have to understand that with with human, human physiology, how we're uh-huh. set up, we're we're built to pack on fat when it's available. Right now, in our modern culture, we have a ton of stuff available. That's why we get fat, right? Uh, it's just it's super easy for us to, to pack on weight, and that's how we're designed. Um, and uh, actually, the ability to pack on fat fast is generally is, is you know for most of humans history is a survival advantage. So now now we see that as a disadvantage because we live in a culture where, hey man, you can you can have four thousand calories a day without you know blinking an eye. It's just easy. So um, when you when you enter an experience where it's more more along the historical lines of what human beings are like. Um, the the picture changes and the experience changes and it's just for us it seems weird um human beings human beings are set up to uh our bodies are set up to complain as soon as we miss a meal right so like as soon as as soon as someone misses lunch we start to get hangry right some hunger anger uh you go a day without food nauseous you feel nauseous you might cramps you might feel uh you know uh lethargic tired irritable Mm -hmm. all these things happen they're just basically your body saying complaining it's like hey i want food um three to five days your body goes roughly three to five days of complaining pretty hardcore and then it starts to transition to like "Mm, i'm not getting what i need i'm going to start eating my fat and my muscle and that's when we kind of hit this that concept of ketosis that's what's going on as your body starts to eat itself basically um and that's that's what your body's kind of meant to do um it it kind of moves into it transitions into taking care of itself that way um, but most of us, have, most people have never really experienced actual ketosis in mm-hmm. that sense. Um, and it's really interesting to see how your body copes and what it does. Um, and so when people that aren't used to doing that, when they have that experience, it's kind of a freak out the first time. Um, the first three to five days are really mentally and emotionally hard. The truth is about wilderness survival, there's priorities. Um, and food is the last priority. The priorities are first take care of major first aid issues. So if you're bleeding out, choking, drowning, not breathing, that sort of thing, you take care of major first aid issues first. Then the next thing you have to take care of is regulating body temperature because that will kill you faster. Come take a class or we can talk about that later if you want more info on that. Um, next on that list is actually sleep. You can go about 30 hours without sleep before things get really weird and you move into really high danger zone. Beyond that, water, you can go about three days without water. And last, you can go without food for about 30 days and still maintain a normal body function. Um, and so food is really the lowest thing on the list. It's the last thing to worry about. It's one of our first obsessions and things we think about, though. You really got to ch- check that part of the monkey brain. And so when someone starts entering an experience where they don't have food, they're obsessing over food. 
they need to just park that and take care of the rest of the stuff and worry about food later. And so it's really interesting to take people in experiences where they have a chance to experience that, where it's low calorie and they don't have that op- that option um, and to see how that affects them. Um, and I love taking people in experiences where that's the case because it, it flips things for them. And a lot of times it kind of wakens into the fact that like they really are a lot more capable than they think they are of, of uh, you know, making it with without having what they have. Well, I can I can speak to that firsthand, and yeah. the situations that we were in where, you know, we we go to go on this journey, right? And you know, we go to the end of the world, and we're getting ready to go on this hike, and Jesse busts her knee, and then we start hiking, and the place is like mythical. The place is, you know, rainy and muddy and snowy and viney and roots everywhere and and somewhat doable when you have a 50-pound pack on, but then when somebody passes you to Jesse's pack and now you're carrying a pack on your back and on your front and it's 100 pounds and it's muddy and it's and there's roots everywhere, all of a sudden it goes from ha-ha to like, oh... It's one thing to have one person down. It's another thing if another one of us drops out, then what are we going to do? Because it starts to get very serious. And I could only imagine what it would be like if we were to wind back the clock, like, you know, hundreds of years, a couple hundred years, right? Where, like, we're doing this for sport. We're doing this for entertainment. But it's 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 another thing when you literally have to, like, survive and thrive and make it and, and, and be able to carry you know, multiple people and a part of your a part of your tribe through these dense jungly areas. Like I mean, would you consider like Ushuaia and what we went through to be like a jungle or a rainforest or or and what was like the whole what was the whole method behind the madness of the of the of the shoot that we shot? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So that that I mean that neck of the woods, it's it's a uh, it's basically kind of like uh, some of what you consider boreal rainforest. I don't know if they call it that far south. Boreal is more like what we call Canada and getting up and towards Arctic. But it, like mm-hmm. it's it's rainforest basically, down that far south. Um, it's super wet all the time. It's super rainy, super cold, um, super middle of nowhere. Yeah. Um, and so that experience uh, that we are getting out on is is an extremely remote place. And uh, um, the idea was to shoot a show where we are taking people out to experience, uh, you know, one of the most remote climates on Earth and how you would deal uh, with being in a place where it's super easy to get wet it's super easy to be cold and how do you deal with that stuff uh if you lose your equipment or if you have very minimal stuff or you're just kind of out in the middle of nowhere and so uh we the the idea was to give people an experience where we can teach them uh, what it's like to be out there with gear uh, and what it's like to be out there when we strip away a bit of that and Uh uh, expose people more to to the elements and to, to just have to use training and their what they have available to them to make that happen and so that was the idea we get down to Ushuaia we get out to Puerto Williams we get out into Isla Navarino and we are trekking in the middle of nowhere and uh, having you guys uh, yep. that's where you step into the picture as as the students uh, you know given some minimal training and put into the thick of things uh, to see what this experience is like <laughs> Yeah, man. The uh, what was funny was this was like, I remember like before we get in the boat, right? She's like, "Hey guys, um, you know, we're gonna go like figure out how to tie some knots, and you know, I'm gonna show you how to tie these knots and a bowline knot and these other knots and these slip knots, and we're just cold. We're cold, and we're by the ocean, and we're like, who cares? Who cares? We just okay. Yeah, this is how you tie a slip knot. This is how you do this. Let's get some film shots and all that stuff. It's all great, wonderful, fantastic. But who cares?" Then, you know, we have the first night, which was beautiful. Uh, we have a sleeping bag. We have a tent. We have a pillow. We, we're, we're, we're camping inside these, these beautiful spots. We have a, a, you know, a little fire that, you know, um, Jesse shows us how to make one that we've never seen before that was really cool and, and, and beautiful. It was wonderful. And then we get to the second night where we, we you know, we, we hike 
we get hike up into the mountains. We get hike up in the areas where there's snow and there's a, a beautiful lake and there's there's snow melting into the river uh, that, that that is going to this big old lake. And then <clears throat> you decide to throw us a curveball. And and now those those bowlin knots and those other knots that Jesse shot, uh, taught us um, way back when we were just getting started start to becoming critical and important and 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 I don't know why, but it reminded me of the only you could think of is like trigonometry or calculus, where like oh step A, yeah I get that. Step B, uh huh. Step C, yeah okay I kind of get that. D, mm, I don't really. E, nope. Uh, F, lost. You know there was a progression where you realize that the the fundamentals of what you're learning in the moment you really don't care about, but when it comes to a situation where you don't have anything, those fundamentals could save your life. And and so that got really interesting and 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 became critical. And so I, I, I'd love for you to talk a little bit about that curveball that you threw, kind of what we went through, and the dynamics, how it was kind of um, me and Tanya and Matt and the host and, and, and the... The kind of adventure that we went on. So I, I just push that back on you. I mean, the, the setup was this: <laughs> first night, you guys are fully kitted out for a back uh, country expedition. Second uh-huh. night, you guys are left with a tarp, some rope, a cup, a knife, and uh, and I think that was pretty much it. Like yeah. that's that's all that you guys had uh, to survive uh, being in basically. Uh, Rainforest in the middle of nowhere with snow. <laughs> okay, so uh, you know, and in, in your training, I guess you could say yeah. that as well. But you guys were given fundamentals of what your survival priorities are. You guys are given fundamentals of, um, you know, how to how to tackle things in your environment in the right order and what resources are available. And then you guys are set to go. So, like for me, I would just you know want to, I would I'd like to know what was your experience <laughs> um, stepping into that and how how was it compared to the first night. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> so there's a couple things that was really interesting about it. You know, one, first night we had a tent, a sleeping bag, a pillow, all that jazz, and it was all kind of taken away, and we were not expecting it. <laughs> Nobody was expecting that. And, and so it was funny to see the different the different ways we reacted. We, you know, for me and Tani, we divided and conquered. I was like, okay, you get the bedding, I'll get the firewood, we'll figure out the tent later. Let's get up and get going. And so I, I just started running around like a like a mad dog trying to gather as much firewood because we had two options. Option A, we make a sleeping bag that's stuffed with things and then we wrap ourselves up almost like, you know, uh, a, a Tootsie Roll or something, right? Uh, option B, we make a tarp that the fire is underneath the tarp and we're laying next to the fire and we go, you you go, I goes throughout the night where one person keeps the fire warm, the other person sleeps for two hours and then the other person's up for two hours and then the other person that's been up gets to sleep for a couple of hours. And so everybody went with, you know what? Let's go ahead and have a fire. A fire feels good and was really interesting. And there was, it was a, one of the things that had a lesson learned on me was it was called uh, Tierro de Fuego. I think that was the name of the place because I don't know, correct me if I'm wrong, but like Magellan or something, when he went through this place, he saw the land of fire. Not because the place was hot, but because the place was so damn cold that all these different tribes, if you looked up across the mountainscape, you'd see all these different fires because people are trying to keep themselves warm. And so, you know, we gathered as much firewood as we could. We built the tarp as quickly as possible. We then got the all the firewood um, organized and separated and ready to go. And w- you know what was surprising? And I'll, I'll tell you this, Dan. It was that I was more comfortable the second night than I was the first <laughs> night. I was more comfortable. And isn't that crazy? It was crazy because we had like, you know, the uh, uh, um, I don't know because like the first night, you know, I had to get up and go to the bathroom. I came back and I don't know if my pad was moved or whatever, but I was cold. I was really, really cold. With but, a full sleeping bag, with see, a tent. Yeah, with, with all that fun stuff. But 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 when I grabbed like a foot and a half of the brush and I spread it over my my my. I made my own bed, if you would, mm-hmm. and, I, and I laid across it. It like there was very little um, 
cold that would seep out through you. And then, you know, uh, having a fire right next to you as you slept, um, as long as your partner helped keep the fire go. And there was a couple times that we, we <laughs> forgot. Like, we'd both get, like, really cozy and warm. We're like, oh, maybe I'll just, like, clean. I'd, I wink my eyes, like, 15 times straight, and it'd totally work. But then we'd freeze and wake up and go, oh, my God, it's so cold. And we'd throw a bunch of fire back on and go, fire would roar again and and then we'd be you know back on and then you know because we had the water source right there we could bubble up some water we could you know throw on some if we had top ramen great if not just some hot water it was very um soothing or comforting or gratifying to be by that warmth to be by that fire to be by that heat there is something that is primitively gratifying Mm -hmm. that felt Good, yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't want to describe that. Even though we had all the, you know, you know, uh, super lightweight um, sleeping bags and backpacks and all this other stuff, it, it felt good to have a hot cup of water by a hot fire inside this place, and I could look out and I could see my friends. I could see Matt in the distance. I could see your fire in the distance. I could see Jesse's fire in the distance. I could see like I was surrounded by my friends and everybody, you know had enough to survive and it felt good tribal but good yeah you're one of the, in one of the most remote places on earth uh you were put into experience where you're taught the basics of how to deal with the land with with full gear and then you're taught how to deal without gear and then you're finding that the experience without gear is just as or more comfortable as with gear uh, because of your training your ability to kind of step into that situation and there is something to that there is something gratifying um, there is something you know it, it just feels super super cool to have that experience and realize that you are capable at least for me you're capable of taking care of yourself with uh, and doing more with less and uh, just being more connected to nature and just feeling like if you're in a situation where you don't have everything you need that comes from a store, uh, you know, you can make things happen. And, you know, for me, that was really epic to see you guys do that. It was it was very cool. Definitely outside our, our comfortable comfort zone, what we're used to. And, yeah, I mean, I, and I agree. There's It's it's different. What do you call it? Level two fun? Type fact, two ta- fun, Type yeah. two fun. Mm-hmm. Because, yeah, there's something to have, like, a big, glorious meal and stuff your face and then go roll over and fall asleep. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a certain type of gratification. But there was something about, like, looking over, going, okay, you know, Tani's okay. Looking over, Matt's good. Okay, Dan, Daniel's over there. Okay, Jesse's in that area. And, and, and we had each other's back. There was, there was a point, because... <laughs> Um, the spot that we chose, we were inside this bowl, right? There's this area because we want to get away from the wind. I was like, you know what? As long as it doesn't rain and turn into a giant fish bowl, we'll be okay, right? And so it was very beautiful. And in the middle of the night, it was like three in the morning. All of a sudden, like, I wake up because I hear the rain pouring. I'm like, oh, no, we're in trouble. But it was incredible because, like, Jessie popped out of nowhere with her hat on in like five minutes I was like hey guys how's it all going do you have your things tucked away it looks good everything looks good ready to set go gotta go bye boom and she's gone I was like oh my god I couldn't have imagined because I mean we had the protection because we had you guys because we had you know we we had the protection of the tribe of more experienced people that are out there we were able to be in a situation that I could only imagine if you, if Jesse, if our guides weren't there, how difficult and uncomfortable that life would have been to try to like survive. And there was there was a just a a deep sense of gratification of of yeah, it's weird, like the place we're like here like in in this like we are sitting right now in newport beach we are a couple of miles away from the ocean and i have seen some of my dear friends if they don't get the special sauce on their super taco they freak out right but in the place there where if you can just scoop some water and boil it up and just 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 sip it down even though there may not be any type of like calories attached to it it just feels good to like 
like struggle together and I, and I and I really that that type two fun I'm, I'm still I am personally struggling to try to give a definition to that of, of why does it feel good or better to be in a struggling situation than it does to be in a comfortable situation when things go slightly wrong human beings like contrast I think uh, one of the things that comes to when I think about that concept it's like why it's like you think about anything that you really really appreciate or are really really proud of it was hard to get there school some job whatever you got to uh, running a marathon there was a lot of struggle and there's mm-hmm. a lot of there's a lot mm-hmm. of uh, you know you could say it's negative experience or pain or just like whatever it took a lot of work to get there and then that experience of struggle when you finally reach something you, you achieve this thing that's this is happiness this happiness whatever it is like you can you can see the contrast I think we are creatures of contrast it's like anything that we are really really proud of or really happy about we've seen the opposite we've seen the negative the pain the, the struggle and then we appreciate it because we have we have the ability to see that other side that contrast okay so anything we to know great happiness in some ways you have to know great pain or great struggle Mm. And so uh, one of the things with the experience like that where you're stepping out uh, into the wilderness and and having the chance to experience uh, what you might call deprivation or just not having as many comforts or whatever, uh, there's something to that, that that creates this appreciation for like the first time you get back and have a bed or a cup of coffee or whatever Man. it is. It's completely it's completely mind blowing, right? It's it like is. it's like this is this is this is amazing. Uh, like this crappy coffee is amazing. Or you know, just just having some warm noodles or whatever it is is amazing. Why? Why why do human beings feel that way? Um, you know why is the hot shower amazing when you've been out for three days and well nowhere it's just because we are creatures of contrast we we appreciate um, when we have a struggle we appreciate when we have to work through something and so you know uh, one of the things to one of the secrets to being happy I think is to have a life that encourages contrast doesn't mean you have to go out and starve all the time there's lots of ways to have contrast but to I think it's important for us to struggle and to have ways that challenge or ways to find things that challenge us in order to find things that we appreciate. Um, and so that's, I think part of that with a wilderness context um, is to, to have experiences that push us a bit, push that envelope and make us appreciate the things that we do have. Let me ask you this question. So let's just say that you were, um, a mentor to young people that find themselves in a situation of angst, right? They're here, um, whether they're local people from South County or they are struggling from inner cities or that kind of stuff. <laughs> if you could give them a mission, if you could give them a task, if you could tell them you know, hey, uh, this is a situation that if this situation that you're going through right now might seem uncomfortable, but what could you send them on? What journey could you send them on? What what thing could you would you could you would you recommend that they go through to get a little bit of this contrast and a little bit of this perspective? You know, I I was uh, while I was traveling this past uh, past fall for doing this movie, we we're filming in like 25 countries. Um, and I got to I got to Bali, mm-hmm. um, and Bali is a beautiful place. There's lots of gorgeous stuff there, but it's super touristy. Okay? Yeah, it's a place where you show up and you want to have this experience, and then you find out that everything's packaged, <laughs> and then so here you show up and everything's packaged. And if you go to whatever you want to do that they're selling, yeah, it just kind of feels like you're you're doing that Disneyland thing. It doesn't feel authentic. Mm. It's like I was thinking, and I actually had this weird experience during that time where I ended up having a weird, like a jaw infection, <laughs> and I ended up in a like I ended up going to hospitals and doing a bunch of weird stuff in Bali. In Bali, Bali. Okay. and so it's uh, and actually I was out on some remote islands in Indonesia prior to that filming. Um, and so Bali's part of Indonesia for those who don't know and it's uh, it's so Bali Bali Bali's a little more western but I was on some really remote islands prior to even getting to Bali um, when this infection stuff started and it's really it's really weird being out somewhere foreign and having something like this come up and I'm in pain yeah for sure I started to swell it's getting weird um, 
And so how do you, you know, for me, it's like, this is a, this is a, this is a really crappy experience, but at the same time, I have this like thing. It's like, that's life, you know, it's like finding these experiences that don't fit a box and trying to, you know, figure them out. And I'm in Bali, which is super commercial. I'm looking at these people that are trying to find happiness. There's so many people that are coming there to search like soul search. Yeah. And they're just not finding what they need because it's all packaged. And I had this uh, this thing. I was I was actually going out. I'd gone to a modern hospital, but I was also just interested. Bali's known for traditional medicine, uh-huh. um, and I actually through some weird uh, just happenstance ended up uh, finding this really remote sort of place to go look at traditional medicine. Um, and so I took a scooter and I drove uh, halfway across Bali to find this uh, remote place where they do traditional medicine. Uh, that I just kind of randomly found, uh-huh. and uh, and so I start going, and it just has me thinking, you know, like I, uh, what are what are some of the things that a person who is looking for a change in their life, or looking for true adventure or true meaning, like when they're on that quest or that journey, what what are some things that we can incorporate to make it a true journey, to make it an authentic experience. Um, and, uh, you know, there, there were a few things that kind of came to me during that experience, um, that, uh, that, uh, kind of feel to me like ways to indicate whether you're on a true journey or experience, um, or ways to find a more authentic experience. Uh, one of the first was to, um, to do something you're uncomfortable about, to just do something that scares you. Mm. Okay. So whatever it is, when you're, whether you're on vacation or whether you are just in your, your life at home, find something that scares you, then responsibly approach it. Do research. For me, it was driving across Bali in a scooter. If you've never Uh been to Bali, like Bali, the traffic's insane. You have people, traffic rules are a suggestion. They're not, they're not a thing. (laughs) And like, I'm, I'm good 50 miles from where I need to get and the options to like pay a bunch of money to a cab or I could rent a scooter and go um, and so I decided to go the scooter route I did my research I, I found out enough about the how that works to find some good safety rules YouTube's great um, and then I decided to go and I just watch people and I make it happen and pretty soon I'm traveling uh, across Bali on a scooter in insane traffic <laughs> and it's a it's a crazy experience and so i could say if you want an authentic experience find something that scares you and find a way to responsibly approach it now let me ask you a question about that because a lot of times mm-hmm. in these situations people come up to a um something that scares them and they're like no and they'll tell them a story they'll do a thing and yep. they'll back away <sighs> can you Recommend, or do you have any advice, or guidance, or mentorship, or thoughts, or anything around how to get people? So maybe they recognize something mm-hmm. that they're afraid of, but they they can't take those steps. Yeah, make a list of the things that you're finding that you're in that experience that are scaring you. Make a list and find the highest one on the list that you can approach that seems like you can tackle a little bit and tackle that one. Okay. So you don't have to, maybe, maybe, it's, you know, it's not climbing Mount Everest or whatever mm-hmm. the thing is like in that experience. It's like the, the worst thing that you could do, but, but look at the one that's right at your, your edge, right? Mm-hmm. The comfort level of, I don't know. And, and approach it. There's talk to people, YouTube videos. What do you have to do to get at that thing that's right at your borderline comfort zone and tackle it, okay? Put yourself out there a bit. Get a guide or a mentor. Whatever it is that you need to experience that, tackle it, okay, in a responsible way. And when you start to jump on that thing, when you start to tackle something that scares you, it creates authenticity. Um, it creates an experience where you are not doing something that's, is just just cookie cutter, cut and go, uh, rinse and repeat. You are mm-hmm. doing something that's on your edge. And so I think that that's a super important thing for people for growth is to do something that scares you in a responsible way. And so, yeah, get, get help, get mentorship, get advice, uh, get someone who's done it before. Um, but step up to where your comfort zone is and try to push it a bit. Okay, that is that is one of the three things that I found on my experience were going to be meaningful to me, to make it a meaningful experience. Okay, I have two questions, but uh, I do want to address one 
one of them said it's one of three things mm-hmm. to make it meaningful. What are the other two things? So the other things, and I'm going to have to make sure I can actually remember them, but the mm-hmm. other things that uh, that came up to me, there were three things that stuck out, like in this super commercial place where everything's packaged. It's like, how do I find authenticity in Bali? One, find something that scares me. So one thing that scares me is was, was taking those scooters and riding across Bali in a new sure. place and trying to find a traditional like uh, healer that <laughs> I don't know what they're going to do either. Um, and the funny thing is I actually found, uh, if you've ever seen the movie Eat, Pray, Love, I actually yeah. ended up with the healer from Eat, Pray, Love. The actual healer? The actual healer from Eat, what? Pray, Love. And it was random because I didn't go to her because she's, she doesn't advertise herself that way. I ended up in her place and I ended up just seeing something on the wall. <laughs> I was like, this is a lady from Eat, Pray, Love, which what? is which is weird. Um, and I'll, t- I'll tell you some other stories later. I ended up actually getting driven with her in the middle of the night. Uh, to some some random place way outside of everything else to end up where her healer was, um, which is a completely different story. But uh, but I just got to tell you, you know, we'll, we'll we'll digress back to what I'm talking about. Find something that scares you. The other thing was um, help people. Look mm. for some ways. An authentic way to have an experience is to help people. Yeah. I don't care if you're helping someone across the street or you are volunteering at some organization or whatever it is. If you are feeling it like you're in a package uh, setup where you're not you're not having an authentic experience, what can you do in that environment to help people? Um, and so for me, if there is something you can do to step out of your side of your experience to help people, um, that is going to create authenticity in whatever way that you do that, that's going to create authenticity and for that's going to create growth. And so I would say that. So find something that pushes you up against your, your comfort zone, what scares you, find something, find a way to help people. Um, and then also the last thing was get lost responsibly. And what do I mean by that? That means, uh, you know, tourist places, especially if you're going on vacation, you know, they're, they're going to have certain places. Go here, go here, here. Yeah, you can go see those. But a lot of times it feels like just checking something off a box. Yeah. Find the place on the map that no one's talking about that's that's weird and it's just or there's nothing there pick a point and go talk to somebody hey where would you go go there <laughs> if you step outside and go somewhere and get responsibly lost yeah it's going to create authenticity too and so for me bali that was the same thing driving out to this weird healer out in the middle of nowhere it wasn't a part of of what was going on created a really authentic experience and it was really meaningful what do i mean by responsibly lost responsibly lost doesn't mean like just get lost and like be screwed it means it means like have a plan okay have have a google maps route figure that out tell somebody that you're going to that point Uh, make sure this isn't going to turn into a survival emergency because again that's my main thing is i teach survival skills Mm -hmm. making sure people don't die when they go places um so you know, get responsibly lost. Have have some contingencies. Uh, let people know where you're going, um, but go to somewhere that isn't on the beaten path. If you can do those three things for me, that creates authenticity and almost any experience you go anywhere in the world. Find something that scares you. Find a way to help people. Get a little lost. Do something that's not something that someone's to, uh, you know just recommended off of a tourist map. What do you get from that? Like, let me ask you. Like, what is the holy grail? What is like, and, and I have my own thoughts on this, but I, I really want to hear from you that there is there is some sort of treasure, some sort of, and it's not material. It's not. It's not necessarily anything. That's tangible necessarily, but I'm, I'm, I'm curious about if you get lost, if you're authentic, if you help people, what is the thing that you actually receive from doing this type of activity? Yeah, it's a good question. I, I, I guess I look at it as, you know, when, when we... When we go back from a vacation or when we go back from, you know, step back into our daily lives or even just in our daily lives, it's like, what are the things that are meaningful to us? What What's what's meaningful? We, we find growth meaningful. We find, um, you know, just, just knowing a little bit more than yesterday. We find that connecting with humans meaningful. Um, and and I think that the these things create circumstances where those things happen more. Um, it's not, you know, generally it's like you go to Paris and you go see the Eiffel Tower and you check out the box. Cool. Yeah. Been okay. there, done that. I mean, been there, done there. It's like, it's like you paid money, you climbed it. Cool. But it's like, 
the thing that I remember from going to Paris was wandering back streets and ended up in the red light district <clears throat> where we had a friend that was going to college um, who lived in some attic apartment and just got married and we ate 12 types of cheeses and duck pate yeah. and, and their apartment was literally a triangle because they lived in the attic <laughs> and it was one room and that connecting with people and talking to them or the weird museum and talking to those people was a thing. And so it's about human experience. It's about connecting to people. It's about pushing our boundaries. And so for me, the holy grail of any travel experience is pushing my boundaries uh, up against something that, that I couldn't do or didn't see or didn't know before. It's connecting with people in an authentic way where it doesn't feel like it's just a transaction. It feels like I talk to them. They see my inner being, my soul, who I am in a way uh, you know, that's that's you know, authentic, uh, versus just some sort of transaction, like paying somebody to do something. Um, you know, you, you want that authentic connection. You want to push your boundaries. You want to learn something new. And so for me, that those, those are my Holy grail or to, to have those authentic connections, to push myself into places I've never been before and to just, uh, to, to know myself and to know others in a way that wasn't possible before I had that experience. That's beautiful, man. I I, uh, I completely agree. The authentic connection with yourself and others through experiences that challenge and drive you to understand yourself and the world better. Right? Yeah, man. That's a nice way to put it. Yeah. I think on that note, we're going to end this podcast, my friend. Cool. That was beautiful. Um, I appreciate you and I honor you the journeys you bring to us and to the people around you and uh, I salute you on the hero's journey and uh, I look forward to being able to talk to you again on more of your journeys so that we can share this mission of authenticity and explorations of ourselves with each other we've had some epic journeys Dylan yeah and I look forward to having some more with you my friend yeah